This is the Education Gadfly Show. Look, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to run for, for the White House in 2020, just like Kanye. Just like Kanye. I remember. It'll be his running mate. It'll be the Kanye West Wing. What does Gadfly say? Hello, this is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at edexcellence.net. And now, please join me welcoming my co-host, the Kanye West of Education I, I, Reform, finish, Mike, but Robert Pondicio. Uh, the Kanye, huh? Well, that seems a little unfair. I guess he went on and on and on at the MTV Music Awards. As we and, want to do on the podcast. Well, as we want to do. I understand you give a good speech, but a long speech, Robert. Oh, do I, is that true? Uh, well, it, 45 minutes? Well, look, I'm going to let you finish, but I'm going to run for, for the White House in 2020, just like Kanye. Just like Kanye. I remember... Maybe he is running mate. It'll be the Kanye West Wing. That's not bad. I uh, Yeah. I always thought 2028. I remember as a kid figuring out, you know, just when would be the right time, depending on my age. And I think I thought 2028 seemed about Is he over 35? Uh, Is he over 35? Chronologically, I mean. I I think we can conclude that maturity-wise, he's got a ways to go. You know, I don't know enough about the man to to say these things, I know enough. But uh, Kim Kardashian is first I'm not hanging out with high school kids like you are, you know, which is is good. And by the way, in your civics class, I hope you take up... some of the maneuvering happening on Capitol Hill. There was a great NPR uh, story about it this week about how is it that the president can get his Iran deal passed with only 34 votes. Turns out this sort of thing happens all the time. It's basically, uh, you know, as, as they said in the conclusion of NPR, when, you know, it's majority rule, even when the majority, Except when it isn't, when the majority decides it's about the majority wanting to vote against something and let it happen anyway. And you should talk to your civics That's students really, about that. Really good point. Very well. interesting. Okay. Lots to talk about. It is back to school time and man, the, the internets are a brimming with education news. Things are happening. Let's do it. Clara, let's play part in the game fly. Last week marked the 10th anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Many commentators and even two American presidents lauded the progress New Orleans schools have made since then. But has the NOLA miracle been overblown? <sighs> you really going to, we're going to go there? We're going to go you, you, there, you Robert. me in trouble. I you? do. I do. Look, I sometimes feel like we're watching this debate a little bit because so much of it is going on more on the political left, the, yeah. the lefty reformers versus their colleagues on the left who hate reform uh, and throwing mud at each other about whether uh, new orleans proves that charter schools work etc etc you have a piece in this week's education gadfly saying yes it's been a big success story that doesn't mean though that it is something that could be replicable anywhere else yeah you know i i feel really badly about this I, i i don't want to cast aspersions look i'm a charter guy i'm a reform guy i get it honestly i get it um but i've been reading some of the commentary over the last couple of weeks and it does strike me that we're in danger of over-promising and under-delivering here. I mean, this was a unique moment in time, right? Uh, you know, the, the, the a devastation of school system that was failing even before then, a unique historical opportunity to just change things all at once. And when you do that, it, it, it attracts talent, it attracts money, it attracts attention. I, I, I earnestly wonder whether this is a non-replicable situation. And then there's the other thing that, come on, let's not overpraise the gains. Um, there's good gains in New Orleans. Did I mention there's good gains in New Orleans? Yes. Because right? there's good gains in New Orleans. Are we clear on this? There's good gains in New Orleans. But come on. The, the, the question I ask in the piece is, if you are a low-income family of color in America and you want to get a good education for your family, is New Orleans really the place 
place you want to be right now. And and in no way do I want that to be interpreted as as throwing cold water and what they're doing. But right. I'd rather be in Boston. I'd rather be in New York. I'd rather be in Washington. Although let me let, let, although let me push comparison. back on that. Well, no, no, no. I mean, look, I think all that makes a ton of sense. Though, let's admit, if you're in Boston, yeah, you're in good shape. If you if get you into the get charter into, school, uh, which is right. a big if in a place with with caps and limits and all the rest. Look, the, the other question for me is if you are a city, okay, mm-hmm. not a kid, but a city, if you are St. Louis, point. if you are Dayton, if you are What's Cleveland, if you are Kansas City and you have a beleaguered school system, uh, is the model New Orleans or is it someplace else? And the question is, look, again, like you said, New Orleans had this huge influx of talent and money. Right. Uh, you know, we know working in Ohio that we just, it, it's hard to attract people to some of these other cities. Absolutely. So that means you need a different strategy. You say, okay, how can we make the, the teachers that are in our own communities as effective as possible? Yep. Uh, you know, how can we rely on the talent, homegrown talent here? It, it just takes a different approach. It may be more around, along what Memphis is doing, for example, or Nashville, or some of these places that look like they are starting to build high quality yep. charter sectors, but it's slower, they're smaller. Right. Uh, and, but, but maybe, maybe in this case, the, uh, the tortoise will win the race you know and and the ed reform ideal is driven by a laudable impatience right it, it just, and, and that's a great good thing uh, but I just would be less than honest if I didn't say I worried that in this case by using New Orleans as a potential model we are getting into a or we could get into a situation where um, our, our grasp is greater than our reach okay all right, Clara. So you heard it. Robert Pendicio doesn't isn't oh, impressed by the gains in New Orleans. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. No, I know, I know but this is what's going to happen, I'm Mike. Kidding. I'm going to get angry. Letters. All right. Topic number two. Right, Topic number two. Maybe Robert can redeem himself with okay. this next one. Also last week, Fordham released a new report on school governance that catalogs eight different kinds of governance models, from Jeffersonian to Hamiltonian to everything in between. Is one model of education governance best? Well, it turns out the answer is no. no. Uh, if there were a best model, that and would have made this report right, much, right. much more, much model. sexier, and uh, we would have gotten a lot more press, and the, right. the, our listeners would have heard of it already. Uh, look, this is a, a, an important report. One I urge you to check out. It's at least a lot of fun to kind of see where your state falls. Well, basically, what we're trying to do here is to catalog the different states. Did you just use the word fun in the same sentence with governance? It, it is, but here's why. Especially if you like political philosophy, we named the different categories after political leaders and thinkers jeffersonian hamiltonian lincolnonian is that even a word i'm not sure uh lockean platonic or platoic i don't know the kanye model uh none of them uh thank goodness so anyway that's the fun part the the boring part is uh digging into governance and yet it matters right we think it matters i mean some of these states you know the decisions are made in a very centralized way in other ways it's very fragmented some places there's a lot of opportunity for public input otherwise not you know some states really can claim to be local control states Mm -hmm. other states not so much and yet when you try to pin down which of these models seems to lead to growing achievement over time yeah i mean it's just it's just too too far disconnected from the classroom but it doesn't mean that governance doesn't matter i mean the the reason that it matters is that at the end of the day when you look at the classroom when you look at a school when you look at the people in those buildings and whether they can make decisions and use their Mm -hmm. judgment whether they face the right incentives uh whether they are being held accountable for results, all of that uh, comes down to governance. Sure. And, and we have a system that is hugely fragmented uh, where there are tons of cooks in the kitchen uh, and where in many 
many cases, those people on the ground cannot use their judgment and make decisions because of all these other people who are trying to make decisions for them. Okay, so let me put you on the spot. We can't say which model works best, but maybe Mike Petrilli can say which model he likes best. Which I like best? Well, I have to say, you know, as, as uh, you know, maybe it's my Italian roots, Robert, but I like the more autocratic approaches here in general. <laughs> no, uh, you know, look, I, I worry about fragmentation a lot, right? Okay. Uh, now, I draw a distinction between that and say charter schools and schools of choice where you you create opportunities for autonomy and innovation and, and a small enough scale to get things done but when it comes to you know setting the rules of the game and regulation and what has you know what what do different people have to do in the system i do worry about having too many cooks in the kitchen so i so i tend to be more supportive of things that uh, that have fewer cooks in the kitchen i, I worry about the uh about the influence of some adult interest groups like the unions. Okay. And so I would tend to like governance models uh, that find smart ways to keep them from having more influence than they should uh, to make sure that the needs of kids are at the top of the list. But again, I, I'm not giving a clear answer. Am I? This is the let I, a thousand flowers bloom. It's the map. I'll more say this. Keep Hamilton on the currency. There you go. Hint, hint. There's my answer. Okay. Topic number three. Oh, and by the way, I'm totally in favor of having a woman on on the currency. I think just this is a great idea. Just just not the ten. Get rid okay. of the, the on the twenty. Get rid of Jackson. Nobody likes Jackson. Uh, you know you got a good. There's point no there. fight. Nobody. You know, but but Hamilton. Don't go after Hamilton. Jackson doesn't have a Broadway show at, named <laughs> no, after no, him. No, he does not. And by the way, go see Hamilton. It's yeah. fabulous. And and Harriet Tubman would be my my vote. Uh, however, it is it has to be pointed out that that was not her actual given name. And so, uh, you know, do, do you do you, I, I, I do you notice that? that? Oh no, that was not her born name. That was that oh. was the name that she took on the Underground Railroad, which I learned by reading a book to my son about the Underground Railroad. All right. Bing. All right. Yes. No. Her name was uh, Araminta, I believe. And I forget her last name, but Araminta. Minty, she went as. Very good. But we digress. Topic number three, That's Clara. What we do here at the Gadfly Show. Education Trust is out with a report on Common Core, reporting that most assignments teachers are giving their students are not well aligned to the more rigorous expectations of the standards. Is it time to panic about implementation? Panic, Robert. Panic. <laughs> there was a great moment on The Simpsons. The, the, I can't remember the character. Is it, uh, uh, Doctor, is it time to panic? Yes, it's time to panic. Yes. Um, no, it's not time to panic. But look, you know, I, this is this is my the, the lens which I view all of this. I'm always more focused on what goes on in the classroom than than uh, structures and heavens for fan governance, Mike. Um, so I've, I've been saying all along that you know the, the the political battles over Common Core are one thing, but it's going to be won and lost in the classroom. So regardless of anything in this report, kudos to the Education Trust for actually trying to break break through the black box and and find out what are teachers uh, teaching, what are kids learning. Anytime a research report attends, try, attempts to do that, I'm all for it. That, that, that said, um, you know, it, I think this is a good report, but I think you have to look at the limitations. It's uh, from memory, something like six schools in two cities and urban cities. It's the Ed Trust, no surprise there. Yeah. So I'm not sure that it's a good indication of what's going on in K-12 at large, yeah. but it wouldn't surprise me if it was. And, and the, the top line finding is that the vast majority of assignments that teachers are assigning are simply not aligned with Common Core. Now, 
this could get complicated because they looked at a lot of science assignments, a lot of history assignments, for example, not necessarily a lot of ELA assignments. Mm -hmm. And I do worry uh, that there's a little bit of to a hammer, everything is a nail-ness about this. In other words, they're looking at everything as if it's an ELA assignment. Um, and, and that may not be fair. One of the things I point out in this week's uh, uh, Education Gadfly is that, look, Common Core calls for building uh, background knowledge. This is why I love Common Core across the curricula. Mm -hmm. And if the assignments that they're criticizing are doing that, then that's a good thing. So you need some context to understand whether these assignments are uh, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. But again, kudos to the Education Trust for at least doing the hard work of actually looking at implementation. Because, yeah, I'm concerned about this. I've been mm -hmm. concerned about this all along. You know, if you could get a representative sample of assignments, I think that would be a really important data point. You know, I, mean, I think it's, and, and it seems more doable than trying to get in there and have a bazillion researchers standing in the back of classrooms and watch what's going on, which of course right. you'd like to do too, but it's just incredibly expensive. You know, we're, we're going to have NAEP results coming out soon. You know, then we'll have it again in 2017. People are going to start asking if you see states making gains or losses, is it because of Common Core or not? Boy, it wouldn't be great to have a sample of assignments by state uh, and just try to see, is there a relationship there? Is that partly what's going on? And you're right. It would be enormously expensive to do this work uh, uh, rigorously and diligently, but boy, somebody should do this. I mean, it's just, it, it never ceases to amaze me how little we know about what kids actually do in school all day. It's such yeah. a blind spot. Yeah. All right. That is all the time we've got this week for Pardon the Gadfly. Now it is time for everybody's favorite Amber's Research Minute. Welcome back to the show, Amber. Thank you, Mike. Amber, what you got for us? All right, we got a new study out in the Journal of School Choice that explores whether charter schools open in high-demand areas of New York City. <laughs> uh, this, the latter is viewed along a few dimensions, okay, so it's kind of limited, but this is how they think about it. Whether charters open in high-density areas with lots of children, whether they locate in areas with low academic performance, and whether they locate in areas where parental satisfaction is low. Okay. The sample includes 56 new elementary charter schools that opened between 2009 and 2013, as well as 571 traditional elementary schools. Data sources include a parent satisfaction survey uh, that they, I guess, give every year every out of the year, New, New York, York City yep. Department of Ed, as well as the school average for math proficiency. That's what they use. And census data on poverty and population, along with this really nifty GIS software. Okay. So they map parental dissatisfaction with their current school relative to the charter openings in these areas, and then they overlay on top the percent of the population living in poverty. Okay, so mm -hmm. they, you see all these nifty maps of how they overlay all these different data uh, points. Results. They find pockets of parental dissatisfaction in southwest Brooklyn, the Bronx, and scattered throughout Queens. Yet Which charter only has one charter school, as I recall. Really? I think okay. so. Yeah. Yet charter schools are not opening in these areas uh, when they plotted it out. Yeah. They tended to open in clusters in the middle of Brooklyn and along a stretch in western Manhattan where parental satisfaction varied, mm -hmm. but was in general moderate to high. Yeah. Okay. Next, they found a modest but imperfect relationship between community poverty and where charters open. Specifically, a majority of new charters opened in communities with at least 20% of those residents in poverty. But then again, 21 new charters opened in areas with less than 20% poverty. And then they had these really poor areas that had no charters. Okay, mm -hmm. so they didn't have a, a real clear pattern there. 
But the strongest correlation just out of these three things, right, um, was between weak pro- math proficiency and charter openings. Mm-hmm. So only seven of the 56 new charters that opened during those years located in areas not close to um, low-performing traditional schools. Okay, so they were opening in areas that had the weak math proficiency. Uh, finally, they found that many charters opened in somewhat sparsely populated areas, and in many dense areas, there were no charters. Uh, so analysts concluded that charters appear to open in response to low academic proficiency foremost and possibly to a combination of low proficiency and concentrated poverty, but not in response to low parental satisfaction. Of course, you know, there's a s- small discussion at the end that could be, have been 20 pages long that this is actually pretty complex, right? Why sure. charters locate where they do in New York City. It's not just about these things that they happen to be able to measure. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the politics, which I'm sure we Absolutely. could talk about surrounding mm-hmm. which schools get authorized. Mm-hmm. We could talk about the cost of real estate uh, in the city and being able to find and afford a building. We could talk about the influence of the charter cap there, although it seems to be yep. fairly generous. Mm-hmm. Uh, we could talk about the overall quality of the charter schools, just to name a few. That said, I and, thought it was yeah. interesting because at least we know from this study that it's not apparently in response to parental dissatisfaction. But, but hold, hold on, though. <laughs> I feel like the cause, you know, I feel like the causal line is going the wrong way here, isn't it? possible that those neighborhoods uh, where the charters are mm-hmm. have high parental satisfaction because of the charter schools. Well, I mean, the way that they looked at it, right, was they went ahead, they looked, the baseline was before they'd before opened. They opened. Okay. Right. They, yeah. they, they had these surveys from way yeah. Yeah. before that. Mm-hmm. There, there, there's a clustering tendency as well. I mean, I, I still teach one day a week at one of those charters, and, and in Harlem, where, where I teach, uh, I, I think... It's it's saturated now. I mean, if you want a seat in a in a, in a charter in in Harlem, you can get one. Same thing with the South Bronx. Same thing with Brooklyn. But then you have to the study's point. I don't think there's a single charter school in Staten Island. Does that mean there's no need, no dis- dissatisfaction? Highly unlikely. Mm-hmm. And I think in the entire borough of Queens, which if I'm not mistaken is the second, maybe third most populous uh, borough in New York City, one charter school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are definitely clustered. Uh, but that's a clever study. Mm-hmm. Now it's interesting, and, and then of course the the facilities pieces. Is oh, huge, right. I mean, yeah, of course, they're not yeah. in dense areas. Those places are freaking expensive, expensive in New York City. And thankfully, in New York, I assume that still lots of the city uh, kids can get to schools, uh, you know, even outside their neighborhoods because there's a robust public transportation system. Mm-hmm. So it's not crazy to try to locate your school, not necessarily right near where the kids live, but maybe uh, someplace centrally located mm-hmm. where you can draw from lots of different neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, good stuff. Hey, anytime people can use a map, we're I mean, in favor yeah, of that. The GIS stuff is really cool, right? I, I mean, you know, it. but it's, it's kind of limited because, you know, I mean, they were only able to look at a handful of things. So, but still, you Amber, know, you'd think they'd look at the parental Satisfied. I mean, you think maybe that might yeah. be one data point that you might yeah. look at. No, right? it's interesting. Amber, don't you think we need to do a map study here? I do. I, I think we could. I'm not the one to do it, but you know, hey, we're hiring for a mm-hmm. new graphic person with some infographic okay. experience. I so. thought a map of where DC's education policy wonks live could be kind of interesting. Hmm. Uh, for, for what reason? <laughs> so we could do one of those Hollywood style <laughs> bus tours, like yes, and here's yes. Petrulli's. Yeah, let's go like, visit yeah. Randy Weingarten's apartment. Yes, yeah, why so not? Uh, let me know how that works out for you. Yeah, uh-huh. Hey, you guys have nothing to lose. Neither of one of you lose here. Nope, so not taking Amtrak out to my house. <laughs> <laughs> Which we can be great. Yes. All right. That is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week. I'm Robert Pondicio. And I'm Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gadfly 
Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute, located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at edexcellence.net.